Hey there! We're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, it's been about 11 months since we've had to uh, have a post-loss pod. Um, definitely not nearly as fun as uh, you know digesting a win, but uh, you know Northwestern losing to Duke 21 to seven in a game that you know we, we saw red flags coming in, and you know the question marks at quarterback, you know the health of Thorson. The consistency of the offense, you know, all, all came into question. Daniel Jones for Duke was definitely a, a worry, and that kind of came, you know, came to pass. Um, defensively, we played pretty good. You know, the, the first half, notwithstanding, I mean, they did, you know, hit us uh, pretty hard. You know, after the turnover, that was, you know, two turnovers, I guess, led, led to fourteen of their points, and you know. Offensively, we weren't just weren't able to get anything going after that first uh, first drive. But just kind of on the surface, what what were, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Well, I think first of all, and obviously, this is why for all you guys who've been listening to the pod, especially going back through the summer when we previewed Duke, it starts like it's much easier to evaluate this game if you start from the perspective that you give Duke the respect that they deserve. Duke is a very good football team when they have a healthy Daniel Jones and they're able to operate their offense because their defense is so good. Um, And I think this was a battle of two teams with really good defenses, as we showed in the second half when we totally shut them down. Um, And I think the difference is Duke's got, I think, you know, I was thinking about this and the easiest way to say it is Duke has a hammer on offense. They have a single weapon from a play calling standpoint that they're able to use and use effectively a lot of the time with Jones in. And we talked about it coming in. It's that play action into a quick slant where Jones just hammers it in there and gets the ball to the receiver really quickly. And I think a lot of time in the first half when you saw Duke have some of their most success, it was, and I give Hankwitz the credit for rolling our corners up much more than we normally do, but in the moments when they weren't rolled up, Duke just pounced all over it. Not just with those quick slants, but Cutcliffe, credit where credit is due, he's got wrinkles out of that package, burned Newsom over the top just by running a a fake out of the same action, Um, and and we clamped down on it in the second half, all credit to our defense. But Duke has that hammer. That's their weapon. And they were able to use it early on um, and get the points, and that ended up being just enough to take them through. Yeah, I, th- I felt like the, the speed of Duke on their offensive side was um, – I don't know if it caught us by surprise in the first half, but that was the difference to me because that, that set you just described, John, that is like the RPO base of their – their offense. Um, the announcers talked kind of time and time again that the running action or the threat of the running play would draw a linebacker up, which would open up uh, the the route for that slant. the the way The way that you beat RPOs in the NFL is by running man coverage, and we we went man on their uh, on their corner corners, and it wasn't we just weren't fast enough. Slants are designed to beat man coverage, so it, like there's just a lot of things that weren't going for us there in the second half. We did figure it out. I think, I think Duke also dialed things back a little bit. You saw how dramatically their offense changed after Daniel Jones was injured and left the game. Um, unfortunately, like if he doesn't get healthy and and back soon, and I I think he's probably lost for a majority of the season. Now Duke's going to pile up a lot of losses. Oh, listeners like that does not, that does not mean they're a horrific team and that we should have beat them. I think, we all still believe we could have won that game. Duke was definitely better on the day. We'll get into you know more specifics as we go here, but they're in trouble without Daniel Jones, and it's really going to hurt their their win loss record. And it just sucks that it happened it, after time it, was too far gone in this game have, for us. He couldn't have gotten hurt at a worse time for Northwestern. He came on just long enough to pile up 192 yards and three touchdowns, and then their offense went off the rails. Right, um, but on the flip side. And I know we're about to get into this. We we weren't able to to get those touchdowns back. 
Yeah, so let's talk. I mean, I, I think the big elephant in the room is is the same one that we talked about last week against Purdue, and that's you know the uh, you know the Thorson situation. You know, it was it was clockwork. It was two drives Thorson, one drive Green, two drives Thorson, one drive Green until the very end when it was just Green at the very you know at the last two drives when you know, time was running out and it, it wasn't gonna it didn't seem like it was gonna happen, but. Um, you know, Thorson had an okay game. Um, you know, twenty-two of thirty-eight for one ninety-six and the pick. Um, you know, TJ didn't have a, a wonderful game on, on his side. Fifty uh, percent you know, pass percentage. Um, you know, nine of eighteen, eighty-four yards and the pick. So you know, not a wonderful day from either of the quarterbacks. But I, I think my biggest issue with the. Um, you know, with, with the quarterback situation is if Thorson's not ready to go an entire game, he shouldn't be out there. You know, th- this, this two and one, all it does to me is just, it destroys any momentum. It destroys any consistency. You know, we, I've talked and we've all talked over and over about consistency on the offensive line. Yeah. We had a few injuries on the offensive line and we'll talk about that, but you know, if you have the same five guys out there all the time, they gel. And the same is true with the quarterback situation. One difference, I think, you know, the last time we had this dual quarterback situation was, you know, the Simeon Coulter situation. And, you know, that that's a different story. You know, that was Coulter was the runner. Simeon was the passer. We're not really changing our game plan between Thorson and Green. But there is definitely a difference in, you know, snap count, cadence, you know, what everyone's listening for. Um, obviously, you know, you just look at him. Thorson is a bigger, stronger quarterback than Green. Thorson can really fling the ball down the field. And, you know, Green's passes take a little longer to get to their receivers. Oh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a real problem that we don't change the strategy when Green is in there. And you saw a couple that went to the sideline. One got picked off. Uh, there were another. There's another one that almost got picked off. And that's, you know, I'm not trying to bag on TJ Green. I just, like... I think if you're going to do this this alternating thing, you have to play to his strengths in some ways. And yes, maybe that makes you a little bit more predictable. But at the same time, like put guys in in position to succeed. Like I was I was really surprised we're trying to throw to the sideline in relatively tight coverage with TJ as opposed to taking advantage of more things over the middle of the field or uh, screens to the running back, et cetera, et cetera. I, like that to me is. All the other stuff, like like if if it if if the only way the medical staff is going to sign off is having this opportunity to check Thorson intermittently during the game, um, or if they or if or if it is a pitch count or what you know we talked last week about probably the the real emphasis here is to have him avoid hits and you and you and he's not running the ball at all. Um, that's an argument for Sam to to your point about you know if he's not ready to go, not ready to run the ball, should he be out there at all? I think this is I think this is calculus on the brain trust at Northwestern saying, all right, look, we probably can't win either of these games. If we don't play Thorson some, what, what situation, you know, are we better off just going with TJ and tailoring the playbook around him and seeing what happens? Or are we better off going with this, you know, this alternating plan and hope for the best. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we can get to this a little bit more later on, but like ultimately, if we come out of our non-con two and one, I'm not going to be all that upset, especially because I think we saw a really first-class defense uh, on Saturday, and John's outlined that uh, a lot over you know in our summer preview, and again last week when we previewed this game. Like, it's not surprising to me we struggle on offense. I think what's frustrating is some of those critical moments in the game where all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I don't. I don't dislike having TJ in our backup QB role. I'm not upset to see him on the field, but God, this is a moment where we need Thorson. And and I said last week, I thought we needed him to be able to win this game. I thought we really needed a healthy Thorson to be able to overcome what Duke was going to bring. Well, and I mean, it's funny. Green, you can see both why he had a North Dakota State offer and why he is our backup quarterback and also why he did not have FBS offers, right? He's a heady quarterback, he's mobile, um, he's a good decision maker, he's cool under pressure, and he definitely understands the offense, and you can see real leadership out of him. He has a weak arm, and he cannot throw on the run. 
And those are the two issues. He's, it's not that he's not mobile. He is mobile. And to your points, Guz, uh, you got to put some packages in. Give him, give him some chances to run some RPOs or some option or something where you're using his legs. But scrambling, he, he's not a good thrower while he's rolling. Um, and that ball just takes forever. I mean, and, and again, to your points, Guz, that same throw that Green was picked off on. Poor Sam and I were sitting there watching that ball travel like a like a weather balloon out there. And that's it's the same exact patch. Thorson hit, makes that throw all day because Thorson's yeah. arm is just way stronger. And you can't just run the same thing. Also, and to everyone, because I'm sure we've all been so frustrated about this, we can't know exactly. But one thing we can be sure is this 2-1 is written in stone. It is chiseled into the rock, and nothing is changing that. It's not like they just decided to do it, whether it's doctor's orders or whatever. I mean, if you asked me, I would say it's either doctor's orders or Thorson's family uh, said you cannot overplay him given this injury. Um, one of which, one of the two, but boy, to watch Clayton Thorson in the post-game press conference, that was a guy who did not look happy. And Thorson's a class act all the way, but that was the look of a guy who thought he should have gotten a lot more reps. Now, I'm not saying I know because I don't, but what I am saying is it's in stone. Well, here's the thing, like, so Purdue, it was two, 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 two. Here it was two one two one, but it, right. it so was maybe consistent. they have some, they well, might have some sloping thing. But Sam and I were looking at each other, saying, "It's the fourth quarter, and we need to mount a comeback." If TJ Green comes on the field here, it is in stone, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and and again, and we haven't talked about this yet, and we we probably should have because of how big a deal it was. Both of our tackles were out for the yeah. almost the entire fourth quarter, which is a huge issue that we really have to be praying. I mean, Sam and I are watching poor Blake Hans just with a bum wheel out there trying to stay in, he was taking himself out, he putting could. himself back in, and then taking himself out again. Um, and Slater had already been out by that point. And let's just say, right, call it what it is, I don't care who we're playing. I don't care if it's Akron. Uh, if – TJ Green and both backup tackles on the field. That's a punt. So if it's Doctor's also orders, it's also, doc- mine, also mine's Cam Green. I mean, right? And well, Cam Green. But if but I mean if if we've got two backup tackles out there and TJ Green's on the field, that's a punt. So if it's Doctor's orders, it's Doctor's orders. But we all just better get used to the fact that we're just going to be one possession short on a bunch of drives if we don't have healthy tackles. And I mean, and again, like Sam said, it went from 2-2 to 2-1, and maybe this is all some big plan to just ramp him off of this. Um, but it it it's it has it hasn't been fun while it's lasted. Let's just say that. No, it's it's not. And it very well may persist in the next game. I mean, it might even be more of an even split next game. I think the Cats are going to triple down on their running game next game and see what they what they can do. I felt like, you know, schematically getting away from the quarterback situation a little bit. This, this, you know, the first couple drives felt really good. And then the cats threw a couple picks. The second of which was, was allowed to happen over an egregious, egregious, more egregious than I've ever seen pass interference call where, where Skoranek was literally thrown out of the path of the ball so that another player could come in and pick it off. Um, but I digress. The point being, we've seen this happen in the past, right? This happened tons of the time with uh, with Trevor Simeon. He'd throw a pick, and we would come back and just run, 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 run. Um, we we McCall got really skittish about calling pass plays after interceptions and really tried to manage the quarterbacks and manage the offense after the fact. In the first half, uh, on we had 15 first down plays. Ten of them were runs. On seven of those runs, we got less than four yards. This is the sign of a very predictable offense um, that's not going to work against a really, really strong D. And it, it, it felt to me almost like we continued to call plays and to, to scheme like we were in the second half of the Purdue game and really just banking on our defense to control Duke uh, and to give us the time, you know, to, to, to win out. Now, based on the very first drive and frankly, based on our second drive, which which uh, in which Thorson looked really, really good. There's an argument to be made that that was the right strategy. And then those two interceptions really turned uh, the scale and shape of the game. The Cats, um, 
you know, had some, some, you could, you could imagine every player on that defense had, had emotional letdown uh, as that second pick was, uh, was happening. Cam green getting tossed off the field. Like that's a major, major turning point in the game. And the fact that, that Duke was able to, to go up 21, seven was not a surprise at all. What was really frustrating, obviously for all of us was that Northwestern had no answer. We had, we had no response to that. And as the game got on and on and on, you saw, and I'm sure this is partially why TJ played the last two series, you saw that Duke was just teeing off. They knew we were passing. They knew they had our run game contained. They were just teeing off on the quarterback on every play. They were bringing pressure. It was, that would have been a dangerous situation to put Thorson back out there on. And I just, I just, I I, I think we got a little too turtle shell after the picks. I think too, it's important to say too, right? Like we, like we said, Duke's got a great defense, and I would say it's not like we look like we had a bad offense out there. It looked like we had a good a good offense with a cold, uh, because one we know Thorson's got the bum wheel. We got the quarterback rotation, as you guys said. Green was off the field, and you know it was a step down from Green to Pew and Prather, um, and and both of our tackles out, and just watching us try to function that way, and also in a situation where. Um, you know, it was later, and Larkin, you know, ended up by at the end of the day, 124 yards, 24 carries. He had a pretty good game. I mean, again, Duke has a great defensive line, Edgar Serenord and friends. That's a beef unit, and um, and Larkin had a good game run running the ball, and we were in a position late where I think we felt like we couldn't run. I still would have liked to see a few more runs, especially against some of those just light packages Duke had the, out there on third down. Um, but there, uh, you know, it's. It wasn't I people shouldn't look at this and been like, oh my gosh, we've overrated the offense. No. It's it's an offense that's got this hiccup because of this rotation, and then a bunch of guys were out in the second half, and against a good defense, it's not like Duke's gonna give us a pass for having all those guys off the field. Um that you just need that. And on the flip side, it's not a conference game. We're still one and in conference. Yep. Yep. We have Akron next week, and if all of this is designed to get Thorson, you know, to just jog him into shape by the time we get there, that's fine. And frankly, you know, Akron again, I I'm knocking wood furiously because of what Eastern did at Purdue this past weekend. But if we need to to play Akron tighter and and rest Rashawn Slater and Blake Hans, then so be it. Um, because, you know, I alluded to the hammer earlier that Duke had. We have a hammer, too. It's the outside-the-tackle run. We've talked about it. It's We've got a, two great guards and a great center. And if the tackles are strong enough to allow those guys to release, um, we do all kinds of damage on the outside. And we have a lot of teams still on our schedule that's going to be very effective for. But, you know... It's it's something to be said that since all those games are going to count in the conference race, you know, if if we have to take an L here and not run all the tread off the tire, I guess then, you know, we do that. Well, and here's here's a small I'll call it a silver lining and then you're going to hear me get a little bit negative, but <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to land in a good place. And that's that's you know, we we run a brand of football that does not uh it can't sustain turnovers. And it certainly can't sustain turnovers and sacks. But something we saw that was fundamentally different from um, many a past Northwestern football experience was an attempt to throw the, the ball downfield. I mean, we went deep to J.J. Jefferson uh, four times. We went, we went deep to the notorious RCB at least once, maybe twice. Um, I'm going to get pretty critical of the fact that we seem to forget about the existence of Bennett Skoranek for the second and third quarters. And I also was, while J.J. Jefferson has a lot of speed and he got pretty close to those balls, um, I, I don't know that his stature or his, uh, his ball skills in the air are up to snuff to really be a downfield threat. But it did feel like at least a different, a different attempt at, um, at attacking football. And, you know, you look, at, you look at the quarterback's lines, their yards per attempt are extremely low. If anyone in college football actually tracked air yards per attempt, which I really wish they did, um, those numbers might look a little bit better in that we were at least trying to go downfield. I would like to see us target Skoranek more because every, every time we do, you just, you, you see what he's able to do in the air. Um, as long as he's not getting shoved out of the way. So long story short, like this is, this is something to watch, uh, as, as the season progresses, there's, that's a component that has been built into our, to our offense. We, we talked at the beginning of the season, we didn't think that any of these guys, you know, Jefferson vault, et cetera, et cetera, were, 
going to be able to become that, you know, take the top off the defense type guy. But having that in our arsenal is can still be very effective uh, when we get the right one-on-one matchups or blown coverages, etc. Before we go on to, to talk about the Akron game, I, we probably should give out some pirate booty. Uh, because th- there definitely was some positives to take away from this game. You know, defensively, like we said, we we shut him down in the second half. You know, we the defense gave the offense every opportunity possible. And, you know, offense just, you know, couldn't quite get it done. Bunch of uh, turnover on downs in the second in the second half. You know, getting close but not close enough for, for field goals. So, I mean, um, kind of going, going back to the week one game against Purdue. Close but not close quite there so uh offensively we're we're dialing it in it's going to take a little bit of work um but defensively i i thought you know you know big big ups um joe gaziano had himself a game you know this let's, was definitely let, let, an are an are you not entertained game from yeah joe <laughs> well let's just say this like at, so first of all it's worth mentioning after after giving up umpteen thousand yards on the ground to purdue and, and uh Rondale Moore, um, and, I, and so much of that was was passing yardage to him as well. But when you look at Duke and what their running backs did, we really contained him two point five yards on the ground average, uh, and they, their their backs didn't really catch much in the way of passes. So we did we did a great job adjusting to that. And in the second half, we did such a better job of keeping the 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 Duke offense in front of us. Like we didn't give up those those long runs by Roming or others. Um, Gallagher and uh, and Nagel were or Gallagher, Nagel Gallagher and Fisher were tackling machines. So like we we adjusted and you know did a really good job shutting them down. You saw Daniel Jones as as the pressure started to mount, he got less and less accurate, and our our defense got more and more effective up until the point that you know he was injured and, and knocked out of the game. Um, which hurt us because then all of a sudden they were they were running a, a ton with uh, with Quentin Harris. So, um, but point being, like the, the, this defense is what we thought it is. It was and Gastown, like gi- one gigantic pirate booty helmet sticker for for that <laughs> man because he was a he was a wrecking crew uh, against their their uh, left tackle. We moved him from one side of the line to the from one end of the line to the other, and once he was he was rushing from the right side, he just did some some big time damage. I look at the 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 third down efficiency from Duke. Um, they were four of fifteen on third down, you know. So that you know that's our defense making plays, especially like you said, Fisher and Gallagher, you know, making plays, you know, getting off the field. Um, you know, the defense did really really well. Um, but on the on the offensive side, you know, I, I do think that there is um, some pirate booty to be given out on the offensive side as well. Yeah, Flynn Nagel. Um, it's it's funny, Flynn, big night for him, 12 catches, 133 yards. And I'm sure all you listeners at home, just close your eyes and imagine what a Flynn Nagel catch looks like to you. Are you are you envisioning him catching it, taking three steps, and then going out of bounds on a deep slant pattern? Because that feels like it's the Flynn Nagel. And it feels like that's our passing offense. And because you alluded to it, I think we were talking before the pod, we used to run the same thing with Austin Carr. Um, it was it, this was the Austin Carr show starring Flynn Nagel. Right, it was, exactly. It was exactly what you saw Carr do over and over and over again in 2016. What's interesting is I feel like this is what we saw from Nagel in that breakout game against Minnesota his freshman year in 2015 before he got injured, uh, like what, halfway through that game or yeah. so. He felt like the guy that was going to be the new Jeremy Ebert over the middle of the field and uh, – Man, he really showed it uh, this this past weekend. I think he was only targeted like fourteen times and pulled down 12, 12 of those well, catches. I mean, it was it was well, spectacular. Well, let's pause right there, right? Because something we talked about going into the season, you talked about this, guys, is we're we going to kick the tires on all of these fast guys, and at the end of the day, it's probably going to come back to us throwing to guys who can catch in tight coverage situations, and that's Skoranek and Nagel. I mean, at the end of the day, like, that's where our bread tends to be buttered. It's guys like Ebert, guys like Carr, Skoranek, Nagel, that they catch balls in traffic. And we scheme them open as best we can, and we throw at their glue hands. And we all want that burner, and you can see the coaching staff is like, <laughs> can it be Kyrick? Can it be JJ? Can it be RCB? Eh, maybe. 
we can keep hoping, but until then, it's going to be these guys, you know, it's going to be the hands team. Um, you, you mentioned RCB, though. I mean, he he only had two catches, but one of them was highlight reel catch. Oh, the toe catch. Yeah. Which I did not think was a catch. No, you sure and didn't. Then... <laughs> but like, but it, it sure was. Yeah. He got yeah. both toes down. Yep. And then in the review said, oh, yeah, he caught that. So, I mean, good. I mean, potential for him. And, again, I think that's what it's going to be coming down to. I think it's RCB is going to be making plays not with his speed but with his ability to to catch the balls, make the tough catches in traffic. That's how we move the ball through the air. But, again, um, keep remembering, people, you know, it's – all those teams – and I think we're probably about ready to pivot out this game and we're going to take it to this place too – Anyone other than Wisconsin in the Big Ten West putting the fear of God into you? No. Then really, what has changed here? Um, there are a lot of teams on our schedule that are core offensive uh, plays, especially on the running half of the game, uh, are going to work just fine. And, you know, if anything, we need to just be healthy when we get to that point. Can we please play Nebraska three times? Oh, my God. <laughs> I wish. Uh, and I, I, I do want to talk about that Colorado-Nebraska game. But uh, before we do that, we should uh, just kind of pivot forward to uh, this weekend's game, uh, 6.30 Central against Akron. Um, you know, we were, we were asked, we had some, some questions on Twitter, um, you know, what should we be looking for from Thorson uh, in this game? And I, I think what I would love to see, I would love to not see Thorson at all. Sit him, sit him for this game and the bye week. And really get him right for Michigan in three weeks. Or if you're going to play him, you know, do maybe two and one with two with green, one with Thorson. If you really want to get him game reps. But I think that, you know, if you're worried about him getting rusty, you know, he should be able to be get what he needs to get in practice. Um, so I, I'd love to see a dialed back Thorson um, and, you know, more more TJ Green. We should be able to beat. We should be able to beat Akron with with Green. And so, if that means we're going to see some Andrew Marty or Aiden Smith, I'm okay with that. I I, I really would love to see what those guys you know, what the, those guys have because you know next year uh, we're probably not going to see much of them with, with uh, Hunter Johnson coming in. But let's really minimize the exposure that we're you know letting Thorson hit you know get hit if we're worried at all sit him down and i'm okay with that sure i mean i th- i think probably yeah. we're, i mean i think i, I, think I, I don't, I don't probably, love it is it the right answer no <sighs> I, I i think it's going to be another two and one i think it'll be the same thing i think they're just going to keep dialing i think i think there's a sliding scale i think he's going to play two and then green's going to play one he's going to play two and green's going to play one uh, with the idea that, you know, that I bet you come Michigan, it's all Clayton. Now, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know anything. Um, and maybe that's a little bit of wishful thinking. But it sure seems like we're sloping in that direction. Um, and, I mean, the big thing for me, too, is, I mean, yes, that's fine and limit the wear and tear. But clearly, we got a banged up offensive line. And we're going to need those guys for Michigan. So if we have to play, you know, Gunner Gunner Vogel um, and whoever else uh, at tackle to to get those guys through. And if I think, you know, like, for example, Gunner Vogel, not the most mobile guy. Um, He's had some issues before, but against Akron, he's just twice as big as any Akron defensive lineman and is going to have more than enough of what it takes to get the guards in motion to run our offense more than enough of the way that we're going to need to run it. So, um, you know, I I think it's going to be a pretty run heavy package regardless. Um, and, And we all know anyone who's looking for a blowout, I think we all looked at the spread uh, at uh, against the Akron game, and immediately Ooh. all all thought about the under. <laughs> um, well, not the under, but give but, the points. Yeah, oh, 20, I mean the points. Right, twenty one points is just not going to happen this game. And I, right, it's it's up so to twenty one and a half as we record right. this on Monday night. Oh man, yeah, so I'll, I mean, like that's we all dream of a of a game when we play a a, a MAC team like that. <laughs> so look, I I disagree with the idea of sitting Thorson for the game. I think. His rhythm and his connectivity with the offense is important. Um, working towards Michigan, I, I, I wish we could go to a situation where he could just play the first half, and we could build a bit of a lead, and then 
adjust our offense and bring in TJ for the second half. Um, I, you know, the, there's there's games in the past where I think I think we've seen the backup quarterback play a lot in the second half or you know whatever. I love that sort of situation here. the The reality with Akron is that they have some stuff going for them on offense, particularly Cato Nelson. Um, he's dual threat. He's he he can sling the ball. Um, he makes pretty good decisions. He doesn't throw a lot of picks. Uh, I, I talked about in our, in our preview of Akron that he gets sacked an absurd amount of the time. So I think our defensive line is a really, really critical thing for us in this game. We should be able to control the line of scrimmage and really disrupt what they want to do. They've got a couple of, of targets in the receiver core. Quadarius Smith is super fast. We're going to have to work really hard to keep him in front of us. And then um, Trailer Bennett is uh, a, a very large man that um, can cause matchup problems for us. Although now that we've identified our our, our second corner uh, in Greg Newsom, I'm less concerned there. Still, I just you know how this is going to go. This happens every year when we play a MAC team. We're gonna, like this game is going to end like 24-17. We're all going to have seven heart attacks in the waning moments of it, and we're going to come out of this non-conference feeling like okay, but terrified about the big 10. And then the, the nature of this team is going to change. We very well might lose to Michigan, but the nature of the way this team uh, schemes and plays and executes is going to change once conference season starts. And that's frustrating as hell, but I feel like we've seen it for six years in a row now. Sure. And I think the other part of it too is yes, we're not going to see as many pulls as we like. We know how this goes. We're going to be stuffing it up the middle a lot more. Um, which, frankly, if that takes pressure off the tackles, whatever. Um, one thing to remember about this that, compared that was, to previous that, that was a real problem against Duke, wasn't it? Like, I, like we just we did not we did not effectively execute our pulling guard running plays, and then it felt like they were getting a ton of pressure up the gut, and we just I don't know. It's yeah. like we didn't know what to do with ourselves. You know, you know who's not Duke. Akron. <laughs> Remember people, like Edgar Serenord would be the best person on Akron's defense by so much of a leap. And that's just one guy. Duke had a whole great defensive line and Joe Giles Harris behind it. Akron not only is their front seven god awful, they have they've played nobody. Remember, by this point, usually if you play a MAC team, they've already been fed into the wood chipper. Well, Akron's game against Nebraska was canceled. And, and yes, the talk about how good Akron's, uh, you know, how well Akron might have actually have done in that game is an interesting discussion, certainly. Yeah, t- Terry Bowden was feeling good going into that. Yeah. Like, but, he, like he, he did several interviews where he talked about, I feel like we've got a shot, we've got right. a good team, but let's yada, put it yada, this, yada. Let's put it this way. Akron. Akron's offense would have had the better day of the two units against Nebraska by far. Even Nebraska would have moved the ball effectively against Akron's front seven just because their front seven's awful. Um, And as it stands, Akron has played Morgan State, an awful FCS team, and they won 41-7. That means nothing. Uh, Morgan State is horrific. So Northwestern's offensive line at this point um, has has been battle tested on the road in the Big Ten. Don't sell that short. I know Purdue fell on their face the week after, but don't sell that short. Hey, Eastern then, Michigan's not a bad squad, right? And then against uh, an awesome Duke defensive front, and now they get this god awful front seven that has played nothing remotely of the caliber of Northwestern's offensive line. If we've got to jam it up the middle and play ugly football and get out of here with the kind of gross wins Scuzz is suggesting. That's more than doable. It's a workable option. Um, the goal is is get through, take the win, get healthy, and then rest that week and you know prepare for the Michigan game. Uh, so before we shift away from uh, this Akron game, um, six thirty kickoff, which means we're going to have a nice long time to tailgate. Uh, we've we found our spot in the Central Golf Lot. It's uh, actually not that hard to find um, from. Central, if you're heading uh, east of the stadium, uh, before you get to the L, the golf course on the north side of Central, uh, just head in there, look for the red pirate flag. We're going to be there. Um, you know, it's actually a really cool uh, spot. I, I've never been into the golf lot before, but uh, d- definitely really cool. Um, so come on over and, and say hi. We'd love to, to just share a brew or something like that. 
um, and, you know, ponder the intricacies of, uh, of the Akron zips. Uh, <laughs> bring, a, bring, a, bring a football. That lot makes you want to throw a football around. It's, it's and, that nice grass kind of lot that makes you just want to throw a ball. Ponder the intricacies of the Akron zips. And black holes. <laughs> and theory of relativity. You know. Uh, any, anything else we need to mention about the game before we move on? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just, you know, stay, stay sane, people. Stay sane out there. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no reason to be heading anywhere near the ledge here. I mean, we knew Duke is good. We lost. It happens. We move on. It was, I mean, look at, just look at the template last year, right? Yeah. You know, figuring it out. And, you know, once everything starts clicking, there's no reason we can't run off a bunch of wins uh, down the stretch. Well, as we're about to talk about, has anything happened this past weekend that disabused you of the notion that we can beat any team other than Wisconsin in the Big Ten West? Because I would say (laughs) no. Uh, so let, let's talk about uh, some of the other action in the Big Ten, and uh, we have to start with the Colorado-Nebraska game. Um, Tatakas! Only because it just gave me such warm fuzzies uh, to see, see you go in, uh, knock off Nebraska um, in their own yard, uh, see all those, uh, the sea of red, you know, just walking away sad, crying that they lost to Colorado. A team that they, you know, hated losing to back in the the days of the Big Eight and the early days of the Big Twelve. Um, for for those of you who are new to the pod and don't know, Sammy grew up in Boulder, and and spent the first eighteen years of his years of his life hating Nebraska more than any any other college football yep. team. Uh, before coming to Northwestern, donning the purple, and and you know having a revelatory experience going to the the Citrus Bowl his freshman year. But um, point being, like. This is big for your boy. Yeah. This, I mean, it it couldn't have gone much worse for Nebraska. I mean, yes, they took the L, and I think Nebraska fans, this game was less close than it could have been. Um, I mean, it was more close than it could have been. And, and I mean that in that Nebraska's lucky that they only lost by five. Yes, they were winning. But the bottom line is Adrian Martinez looked pretty good for them early. But sorry, Scuzz made this perfectly clear to anybody. This kid was gonna get hurt. He plays the kind of schedule, the kind of style that makes him take a lot of hits. And it's not like Nebraska's offensive line was anything to write home about. Um, did we all think it was gonna happen in game one? No, but it it was going to happen eventually. And now Nebraska has no one at quarterback. And on the flip side, Steven Montez threw for 351 yards and three touchdowns. My personal favorite moment of this game, and I texted you guys, was right at the beginning when Nebraska scored, was up 7 nothing, went down and had a fourth and three uh, inside the Nebraska 10 with a lead and was like, oh, you know we're going for this. Uh, just putting it in, being like, if I mean, yes, Colorado only scored 33. If they could have scored 100 in this game, they would have. And that's that's exactly the kind of hate that I want to see rolling into Lincoln while the while the Huskers are down. Um, Ohio State all over Rutgers, fifty-two to three. Uh, nothing really to report from that. This is my weekly reminder: fifty-two three. That's a conference game. Conference game for <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> if John could uh, could uh, petition the Big Ten to kick out Rutgers, he would do it in a heartbeat. Uh, well, not as long as we get to play them. <laughs> yeah, we, True. we finally get to this year. This is this is an evolution of your take. <laughs> I, no, I, oh goodness, I just that's that's Big Ten East yeah. football. Rutgers Rutgers plays this place is going to run this fifty two three back three more times this year. So I I, th- I think we should eat eat our crow, um, or at least I need to eat some crow, uh, and then I think we all need to eat some crow on particularly. I was way, way off on Penn State. I thought they'd struggle a lot more with Pitt than they did. They they, they just ra- raised a giant middle finger to Pitt. They went into Pittsburgh, went into Heinz Field, and, I mean, th- Franklin ran, oh. ran it up. Like, he ran up oh. the score. They dropped Trow and Pete on the 50-yard line. 
Yeah, or might, or is, might as well have. And Franklin, who has been like, I you know, zero class as far as Pitt is concerned since he showed up at Penn State. I'm sure it had to sting extra for Pitt. Now, we don't know exactly what Pitt has, but this was sort of like the defensive performance everyone was expecting against App, where instead Penn State, you know, gave up all kinds of points to App. So, um, you know. Well, and it was, it was 14-6 at the half, so this wasn't, you know, right. this wasn't Ohio State Rutgers, which was uh, 35-0 at half. Yeah, right. I mean, but, but yeah, correct. Se- second half, right. like Franklin just, you know, turned it up and kept turning it up. And, you know, there, there was no reason for that to be a 51 to six final, but, uh, Franklin just wanted to give an FU to Pitt. Yeah. I mean, again, it's hard to know this, this six points against Pitt is exactly the kind of performance Penn State's defense put up in the non-con last year. So <laughs> yeah, like totally. part. So pardon me if I'm not, like, raising the Penn State National Championship banner. Let's see what they do against some real offenses, uh, and then we can talk. But, it, was a weather, it was a weather game, too. Yeah. yeah, uh, Weird game. But but Penn State needed a bounce back, and they got it. Speaking of real offenses, Jonathan Taylor. Oh, my. 33 carries, 253 yards, three touchdowns with Wisconsin uh, all over New Mexico. They were down after the first quarter, but uh, just turned it up. 45-14, the Badgers... I uh, beat the Lobos. He's quite good. He's very, very they've, good. Talk. I mean, again, talk about the hammer. They've got it. They don't have to play creative. When, you're, when your style's not creative to begin with, it must be really easy to play the cupcakes and be like, well, we'll just keep throwing it at the line, and sooner or later he's going to bust one at 253 yards on 33 carries. I mean, that's that's just getting hammered into the line at eight yards a pop. So, yeah, they, they get it done. I got I got a shout out to uh, to our buddy Chris Giannini from the uh, Winning Cures Everything podcast. We've been we've been chatting up with those guys um, while games have been been broadcast, and he's he, he's enamored with Wisconsin, uh, namely because he played. I think he played O line in high school, and he always he keeps saying like, "Man, I could have gone to to like if if I had been able to go to Wisconsin, I would have been like I would have been hot in Wisconsin," <laughs> and uh, and I just. I, I love his I love his enthusiasm and uh, yeah it's probably true I mean the 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 O line there is they're just doing incredible things and uh, that team is I I find it I find it difficult to hate them um, many others in the conference no troubles but uh, as much as I like I, I don't know that I'd like to beat anyone more than I'd like to beat the Badgers but it's just it's just impressive I'm not even mad I'm impre- I'm impressed. Uh, Michigan gets the bad taste of that Notre Dame loss out of their mouth with a nice frosty cupcake of Western Michigan. Um, Eastern Michigan goes into Purdue and wins 20 to 19. Oh boy. Eastern is the best of the directional Michigans. Uh, well, yeah, because Central lost at home to Kansas. Yep. Who lost to Nichols State. Yeah, no. So, I mean, yeah, Eastern, Eastern got it done. Um, but- Purdue fumbled five times and lost two of them. Uh, and they didn't throw any picks, but the, the quarterbacks looked really pedestrian, 135 yards total. I, I'm sure this was a weather game based on what Cincinnati looked like on Saturday. Um, and I, and I, I just, I don't know, like uh, Rondell Moore only carried the ball twice. He got 50 yards out of it. Um but I just I'm not sure what happened here to Purdue. Like what whatever whatever Purdue we play, they were in a serious hangover situation this weekend. And and remember everybody for like everyone who's climbing the walls because you're like, oh my gosh, we thought that win was good and then they lost to Eastern Michigan. Remember we should have clobbered Purdue. Rondell Moore was the only reason it was close. And apparently if you turn off Rondell Moore, then they lose to a Mac team. Yeah. So um the flip side is hopefully they can turn him on and steal a couple wins and make ours look a little bit better. God, it makes me wonder. It's, there's nothing in the write-up, but it makes me wonder if Moore got injured because, like, the idea that you'd only give him two carries after what he did the previous week against Northwestern, that's just crazy. It was weird. Uh, Iowa beats Iowa State 13-3. to um, Iowa's defense might be for real. I mean, they are you know, two really good games just to get off the – get the season off started. Yeah, I think if this one is as worrisome for me as anything, uh, I think David Montgomery for Iowa State only had 44 yards, 2.6 a carry. 
Um, and, you know, I don't, we don't, I mean, Iowa is not a great offense by any stretch of the imagination, but as Scuzz's outline, they can run the ball. And um, Iowa State's defense totally showed up in this game. But remember, Iowa's turning over their entire linebacker core here. They do have a good defensive line up front, and I'm sure that made a difference. Um, but this is a, a defense that still is a little bit of transition. And, you know, so that has me a little bit worried because it looks like Iowa's defense uh, has reloaded. Uh, Maryland all over Bowling Green, 45-14. Uh, Indiana beats Virginia, 20-16. to Illinois beats Western Illinois, 34-14. Congratulations. Rolling, rolling. It's a steam, th- that Illinois steamroller. Unstoppable. <laughs> oh, Man, God. I was, I had, I had high hopes for Western Illinois, but, um, yeah. Well, I mean, what, oh, you know what? We got to talk about the, the quarterback situation in Illinois. We didn't talk about this last no, week. No, we didn't. This is we, another, didn't. we didn't. This is another case where Lovey Smith, you should have used an oar. And now, who knows what's going to happen. So last week, they started A.J. Bush, um, a, a JUCO transfer who came in who came into Illinois this season instead of Cam Thomas, who was the, the guy that played a lot last year. Um, we When we previewed the, the Illini, we were like, ah, Cam Thomas can't really throw the ball, but he does it all right running. They basically sat him and played A.J. Bush. Cam Thomas has left the program. He's tra- He's transferring. This is like Nebraska all over again. And then this game, AJ Bush, AJ Bush plays sparingly, and then they bring in this true freshman, MJ Rivers. Um, the guy looks the party six four two fifteen, but this is like it Illinois' was, QB situation is now as bad as Nebraska's. Illinois is just throwing darts at the board. I don't even AJ Bush. They rode it, him like a Clydesdale, and then he got injured first, in their first game. And he got he left this game in this in the first quarter with an injury and he didn't and, return and I oh yeah, my god it's just and that's that and that was it I mean I came out again like they had the the leading running back in this game was Epstein with like 102 yards and again like he's an FCS running back so if if that's it oh my god I just I mean I take solace in your two and zero start Eli and I because oh my lord it's it's this that's it. Bye-bye. Uh, speaking of injuries, uh, we got to talk about Rodney Smith, uh, running back from Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota does beat Fresno 21-14 in a game that was, really could have gone either way, but uh, Rodney Smith blew out his knee and is out for the uh, rest of the season. That That's a blow for the Gophers. That's, oh br- that's brutal. Especially because Shannon Brooks has already lost for the season, having uh, torn an ACL in, in spring ball. It's, I mean, that's rough. I mean, again, this is your weekly reminder that Minnesota starting a true freshman at quarterback, and they did not have a heck of a lot to begin with. It's, I mean, it's rough for them. I, you know, I, I don't wish bad, bad on the Gophers. You know, offensively, they're, you know, they're, they didn't deserve to have this happen to them with the other stuff they're dealing with on the offensive side of the ball. It's, it's rough. On the flip side, uh, they most certainly do not deserve to win a game on Antoine Winfield making great plays like that because it's pretty gross that Antoine Winfield's on the field to begin with. Yeah. Um, and that he's making game-saving plays for them uh, is not really fun to watch. Um, so, but but either way, I mean, it, still, it's bad that Rodney Smith went down. And the Ghosts still have Miami of Ohio next week. Um, and then they get this suddenly plucky Maryland team, and then I think they're, things are going to... It's it's going to be tough for them to to score points pretty soon, so we'll see. And last but certainly not least, um, I don't know too many people who stayed up uh, to the end of this one because it was just so so late. But Michigan State goes out to the desert and drops one to Arizona State, sixteen thirteen. Herm Edwards, we've uh, we've had a few laughs at Herm's expense over the years. Um, we've had a few laughs since he's gotten to Arizona State, and now they're two and zero. And he was masterful down the stretch for the Sun Devils, uh, you know, running the clock, you know, to perfection. I mean, Arizona State, uh, are they, are they, are they good? I don't know what's happening. Uh, This was the other thing I alluded to earlier that, like, I could not have been more wrong. And I'm in a, I'm in a picks, uh, picks pool with my wife's uncle. and, And I was, I was looking at this game and at first I put like low numbers on it and then I needed to, I needed to balance out my, my picks a little bit. And I was like, ah, 
Arizona State might make some noise, but of course Michigan State's going to be able to overrun them. They have so much more talent, et cetera. And this, like Michigan State was up 13 zip for a lot of this game, and I think they just turned their offense off. And then I, I, I think their offense got, they started melting. It was 100 it degrees at kickoff. And that yeah, was they at might, night. I mean, they must have been really, really drained by the end. But they just, they they weren't, you know, and they were just, I think they thought they had it in the bag and they were just trying to, to bring it down. And, you know, John documented extremely well the, the decline that has been Michigan State secondary. And ASU threw all over them. And then, yeah, the, every, the, the everything the, you need to know about Michigan State's defense. Arizona State ran for twenty-seven yards and threw for three hundred and eighty. <laughs> yeah, wow. three eighty. Oh my god, that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, like down the stretch, like D'Antonio was doing weird things with the clock and calling timeouts, and Edwards just looked like this calm, cool, collected dude that was, you know, sipping a lemonade while while coaching his his son's peewee game like he just looked as cool as ice and in complete control and i have to say like color me impressed really impressed i didn't think that this was the way it was going to go that a team... plus post game speech he, he... yeah uh, I, I, I i think there's... we tip our hat to you i think there's two big takeaways um that we can you know kind of glean from the first two weeks of the the season uh, number one stop scheduling appalachian state all they'll do is come in and give you <laughs> just fits and maybe beat you. Uh, and two, don't go to Arizona State. Arizona State is 10-0 and 0 at home against Big Ten opponents. It's insane. I mean, we, we went out there and got beat yeah, by I was, them. I, I was going to say, we saw one of those games. We did. Uh, although we did, we did get to meet Wilbon. We did. And that was, that was a, we, we had a lot of fun. Um, we did have a lot it, of fun. It was, go, like, go, go Sun Devils. It, it's a it's a fun trip, you know, as a fan. But don't go there expecting to win if you're a Big Ten, because you're not going to. Um, but you know, go to Arizona, go to Phoenix. That, that's a fun town. Again, though, to bring it all home, it's not like Michigan State looked great in this game, and we kind of felt like Michigan State was overrated all season last season. So you know. If you look at the Big Ten West as a whole, Wisconsin's exactly what we thought they would be. Um, Iowa's defense has me a little bit worried, and everything else is wide open. Um, so, again, there's, you know, you look at, we have injury problems, not as bad as a lot of other people have injury problems in our side of the conference. Um, I, I feel no worse in any way about our ability to trade blows in the mud with all of these teams in a month. Well, and to throw one more out there, um, we talked a little bit about about Notre Dame last week, and and like the question coming out of that Michigan game is, are these two titans of uh, of college football this year, or is this one of those like like Notre Dame Texas a couple years ago where they're just two you know middling teams with with great defenses that can't figure it out on offense? Uh, Notre Dame, granted, in a total letdown hangover spot only beat Ball State 24-16. And that's, you know, Brandon Wimbush was 17 of 31. Now, granted, for 300 yards, uh, he had a nice nice day in that regard, but but three picks. I mean, this this Notre Dame offense is what we thought it was. It (laughs) is what we thought it was. And um, I don't know how the hell we're going to score against their defense, but the, you know, another moon game, I guess it would be, I guess it'd be a noon game against Notre Dame is certainly in the cards uh, for November when we get there. And, and Michigan's offense is um, obviously more inept given how they, how they did against Notre Dame uh, two weeks ago. So like that, like as, as difficult as this Duke loss was to stomach for, for cat fans, like the end is not here. There's, there's, there's so much runway towards uh, left for this season and plenty of opportunities for the taking, including, we keep alluding to it, like the West is, it's not wide open because Wisconsin looks awesome, but all we need is a, a great game against the Badgers, and we'll see what happens. Uh, quickly running through the schedule for this weekend, um, you, you've got Kent State at Penn State, uh, Rutgers at Kansas. Ugh. Don't watch. <laughs> don't watch it. Don't, don't, don't do, do it, it, people. Don't watch it. I'm not even. Do I'm it. not even going to tell you what channel it's on. 
Save yourselves. Uh, Ball State at Indiana. You got Temple at Maryland. Uh, Troy at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska. Ooh, look out. Ne- look out. Nebraska's an 11.5 point favorite. But if Martinez half point favorite, give me, those, give me if, them points. What? Give me them points. But that if Martinez can't us... play, oh what if my... Martinez can't play? What are they going to do? I, Troy is I, good. Troy is I, really good. People. I don't even. That's that's just ridiculous. That yeah, Troy is Troy is licking their chops for this one. So we shall see. Uh, you got BYU at Wisconsin, um, SMU at <laughs> Michigan. I oh, so real quick on BYU at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is favored by like twenty one points. Take Wisconsin; they're going to destroy them. They're going to yeah. absolutely destroy them. Uh, Michigan's a thirty five point favorite at home against SMU. Yeah, that that probably true. That seems well. So that's one of those ones that was really curious too, because ultimately TCU blew the doors off SMU, but that game was really close for a long time. The weather in, was in, awful. I mean, in it was bad, a in really weather bad weather. Game. Well, right. well, and I mean, you don't just go into Gerald Ford Stadium and uh, come out with a blowout <laughs> victory. Oh, wait, yes, you do. <laughs> look, there are at least five people in that stadium, Scuds, at least, minimum. It was, so it was really fun. I, I, I went to it, my wife and I uh, biked up to that game in a monsoon when we lived in Dallas back in, uh, I want to say it was 20, fall of 2011. We bought tickets for like 10 bucks and went inside, and there were quite literally like a hundred SMU fans. Um, their poor band is like 20 people and then probably like 3000 TCU fans and then just emptiness. And, uh, we had a good time. We enjoyed the game, but that's just, that is a SMU is an awesome place to go tailgate. They have one of the best tailgating scenes, um, that I've, that I've, I've experienced, uh, in their, in their Boulevard area. It is a ton of fun. The tailgates are awesome. They are high end, uh, like it is a lot of beautiful people just hanging out, having a grand old time. And none of those people go to the game. They all leave and go home. And the game is just, it's like, it's crickets. It's empty. It's very, very sad. It's, it's a great location. It's in the middle of Dallas. Like it should be an awesome, fun place to watch football. And it's, it's just depressing. And it's, it's very sad for me. Even when they had Deion Sanders jr. They couldn't pack the place. Wow. Uh, we got Miami, Ohio at Minnesota. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, Minnesota should roll. have enough to get through. They're yeah. gonna roll. Uh, South Florida, Illinois at Soldier <laughs> Field. <laughs> Three thirty. Uh, so, so cat fans. Um, everybody get like this game is on. Uh, is this on? It's on Big Ten Big Network. Ten Network. Da- two thirty. Two thirty Central. Download BTN to go. Download the app. Get re- like like get this thing prepped and then. Enjoy your pregame tailgating before the Akron game and watch South Florida just annihilate Illinois at Soldier Field. Uh, Missouri at Purdue. Um, you know, we talked about this game early on as we were you know, previewing the, the Boilermakers. Ugh, I just... The, this this, can, on, this could get ugly. I don't know. I mean, because if Purdue going to really start out the season 0-3 at home, by ugly, do you do you mean that uh, Purdue could annihilate them like they did last year, thirty-five to three on the road? They could. Here, let's they could also it, get Purdue. annihilated thirty-five. Bounce to three. back, Purdue. Come I think on. Missouri Missouri's a paper tiger. L- I hope liter- so. Literally, I hope so. Come on, Rondell, uh, go off, buddy. Come on, put some of the luster back in our win. I don't know how much more we're going to learn about Iowa's defense when Northern Iowa goes uh, to Kinnick. Yeah, I doubt it. Kurt but Warner will, ain't walking through that door. But will they continue to wave at the hospital? That's a great question. I wish someone <laughs> would. T- I I wish that someone, someone out there, could you know really dive into the the options here. Where's where's <laughs> can, where, where's Tom Rinaldi? Can we pick up the Rinaldi bat phone? <laughs> I but I'm not throwing shade at the fact that no, no, Iowa does not at all. It's an not awesome, awesome thing. I'm throwing shade at the stupid headline writer that decided that was the headline coming out of Iowa's game two weeks ago. Iowa continues to wave at children in hospital. Good grief. Well, come on, Northern Iowa. Give us another headline. Let's go. Uh, and, then, and then finally, um, kind of the, the marquee game, at least on paper, Ohio State TCU at Jerry World in uh, Arlington, Texas. Um, 
the last day of Urban Meyer's suspension, which has been a two-day suspension for the last two weeks, because the only days he has to miss are the game days. Because it's a joke of a suspension. And Ohio State's going <sighs> to roll TCU, right? And uh, well, I maybe? so maybe that's what I thought in maybe. the first half of the SMU game. Maybe here, so here's the interesting thing. Much like the Michigan State Arizona State matchup this past week, uh, TCU is six and zero when uh, they're playing in one of these big games in in Arlington, Texas, uh, where game day shows up. Is game day there this week? Yeah, okay. game day is there. Um, I don't know, like everything tells you that Ohio State should roll in this game, and you just you just wonder if there's something crazy in the wind. Um, TCU, should, like on paper, T, like Ohio State should certainly roll. TCU does not that they have no business beating them, but um, Ohio State by twelve seems pretty rich. I mean, that's. That feels like a line that has been bet up by the Ohio State Buckeye public. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, again, I watched a lot of that TCU-SMU game. I know the weather was bad, but Ohio State is a thoroughly better team than TCU. TCUs can do some things really well, for sure. Um, but um, Ohio State's definitely got the ponies to pull this one out. But with that said, come on, TCU, get it done. Did you see uh, Gary Patterson was asked about Urban Meyer's suspension, and he said, "Well, if it was me, I'd probably just you know be co- I'd probably contact my my coaches from the box and coach them." And the reporter said, "Well, you know that that's not allowed." And he said, "Eh, I'd probably do it anyway." <laughs> yeah. Lest we forget, that's not the first quote of note from Gary Patterson this yeah. year. So, Ooh. old uh, Gare Bear. Yep. Um. Real quick before we get out of here, uh, any other games on the national scene that uh, are kind of piquing your interest? You know, just kind of scanning through the uh, the schedule here. Um, couple, couple. I'll just say I, I'll just say I think it's worth noting that Duke is a two point underdog at Baylor, and um, oh, I think that's the first time I said Baylor's name in about a year and a half. Anyways, um, that's I mean that is. 100% the Daniel Jones injury. We know he's not going to play. He's going to be out for, for at least several weeks. And uh, that's not great. It's not good, Bob. One game that really is sort of jumping out to me, and for interesting reasons, really under the radar, um, Hawaii at Army. Hawaii, 3-0 and so far this year, has been just obliterating offensively. They've been unbelievable. Cole McDonald, their quarterback, uh, on the on the season already has 1165 yards and 13 touchdowns um and that's just in the first three games of the year army's a six and a half point favorite at home yeah it's a long I, way for our, for hawaii to go but they've been putting up offense yeah i don't understand it and their first their first game was an away game in denver uh or not in denver in, for, in, for collins in, uh, yeah for collins yeah I, I i i'm surprised as well sammy i mean army Armies looked okay, I guess. Like they're one and one. They beat they they got killed by Duke, and then they beat Liberty. Um, a game in which Liberty's punter was ejected for targeting, which, uh, frankly, is what Liberty gets for being for for um their horrible personnel decisions in the athletic department. But that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, I yeah, this is that's a real surprising setup to me. It's funny, I think back, what was the year? I'm trying to remember. The, Hawaii had that one quarterback that one year who went to, you know, he was a Heisman finalist and they almost went undefeated. And Timmy Chang? Not Timmy Chang. Um, it was, oh, it was the guy right after Colt Brennan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that year they played a really just cream puffy schedule and he threw for a million yards and they ran the table. Their next three game, four games: Army, Duquesne, San Jose State, Wyoming, and then at BYU, Nevada, and then Nevada, who's awful, Fresno, Utah State, UNLV, and San Diego State. Like the tough games never really show up. If they just keep throwing for a million yards a game, they could put a run together. I miss that kind of thing. I miss the uh, the that Thursday night Mountain West magic. We need to bring some of that back. Well, speaking of that. Um... 2.30 Central on ESPN. Boise at Oklahoma State. I'm definitely interested in that one. Boise looks good. Yeah, Boise looks really good. 
this I mean, this is like kind of the return of Boise getting uh I don't know if it's a marquee opponent, but it's certainly a well known one. Um Oklahoma State's lost all their good players with Mason Rudolph uh, and James Washington both going to the NFL last year, so they're not the same team. Um but this is, you know, Boise is likely to be the best group of five team. And if there's, you know, total chaos at the, at the BC, at the FBS level or the, sorry, the power five level this year, it's plausible that, that they could become a party crasher in the playoff. I think it's pretty unlikely, but, um, I guess stranger things have happened. I guess the last game that I would circle is LSU Auburn. I think these are two teams that neither of them were necessarily expected to be undefeated at this point. And they both are with big wins. They each have a big win on their resume. And one of them is going to really kind of continue the role here. Um, and I think it'd be especially surprising if it was LSU. I think for LSU to have a couple marquee wins this this early in the season would be uh, a really interesting development. Um, and I know our winning cures everything, friends, or at least one of them <laughs> would be <laughs> very interested in that result. So, so we'll, we'll see. Well, I'll give a shout out to the other, uh, to Gary, because, you know, Gary's a big Alabama fan. Alabama's at Missouri or at Mississippi this week. Ole Miss is the, I think the only team that has beaten Alabama more than once, like in the last, other than maybe Auburn in the last however many years. Um, I don't think that, I mean, this is not kind of the same Mississippi, like they've had so much turnover and stuff, but Jordan Tamo, their, their QB looks absolutely stunning. At the same time, Alabama has never had a quarterback like Tua in the the um, Nick Saban era, so this is this is probably another Alabama blowout win. But um, that that has been said the last several times that they went to Missis- to Mississippi and lost as well. So, well, I mean, one one thing you know that is also continues to be a constant for the for the Tide is kicking trouble. Not that it's going to be an issue here, but that's all. I mean, every year there there's something. Something in the water in uh, in Alabama that you know prevents kickers uh, who are wearing the Crimson Tide uni from you know hitting field goals, extra points, and whatnot. Should have used an or Saban, uh, the kicker that beat Michigan State for Arizona State, Alabama transfer. <laughs> yeah, you, you leave Alabama, you're okay. You transfer to Alabama like their current kicker is. And he missed a few last week, so something's, something's wonky going on there. It's weird. Uh, anything else before we get out of here, guys? I don't have anything else, but should have been an or is, is going to definitely be my, be my phrase of 2018. <laughs> <laughs> definitely going to be my phrase. Uh, I'll, th- I'll throw out one more. Um, South Florida's quarterback is Blake Barnett, former Alabama QB. Um so that should be fun for for Illinois. Yeah, there, yeah, there will be. That's another Alabama transfer out who's going to have quite a fun day. That's for sure. We will go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, you can head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at westlotpirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field or the central golf lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.